0: welcome to that of Rich. Thank you, Jeannie, for reading. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, that you speak to us by your spirit. You speak to us of Jesus, and you want us to learn to trust him and follow him. And we pray you'd help us as we do that through this chapter of Jonah this morning. If We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Last September, this man up on the screen, uh, Comrade Dooch, Died in a com- in a Cambodian prison. He was known as the bookkeeper of death, and was responsible for some of the worst atrocities committed by the Khmer Rouge. Whilst on the run, Khmer Ru- um, Duch walked into a church, and he heard about Jesus. He was later baptized by a pastor whose family had been murdered by the Khmer Rouge. He was caught, tried found guilty of war crimes and sentenced to life in prison. When the pastor of a Cambodian church heard about his death, he said this, I am almost sure this man received his salvation. What do you make of a story like that? How do you feel? Confused? Amazed? Unsure that it's true? Angry? If it's any of those feelings, perhaps especially the last one, we can begin to feel a little bit like Jonah felt as he sat on a viewpoint overlooking the great city of Nineveh. Because in our passage today, God is absu- Jonah is absolutely furious at God for being God. He sees God forgive as an evil city, and he goes absolutely ballistic. Well, I wonder if you're one of those people who likes to skip to the last chapter of a book to find out what happens. If so, you're in luck, because Jonah chapter 4 is in many ways the key, the most important chapter to the whole book of Jonah. And the surprises in this chapter are are going to help us understand some of the surprises and puzzles we've discovered in the story so far. The, The chapter splits into two slightly unequal halves, which we're going to look at. Uh, But through the whole chapter, God speaks to us, wherever we are, in our faith. On the one hand, he shows us just how amazing his grace is. And on the other, he shows us just how much he really, really, really wants to change our hearts. Let's get started with the first and shorter half. Jonah's anger at God's amazing grace. Jonah's anger at God's amazing grace. Verses 1 to 4. Uh, Verse 1, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. Do you remember how back at the beginning of the story, God said to Jonah, go to Nineveh and tell them that judgment is coming because God won't tolerate their wickedness any longer. And uh, Jonah eventually gets to Nineveh in chapter 3 and he preaches that fire and brimstone sermon, chapter 3, verse 4, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. You've had it. But amazingly, the Ninevites cry out for mercy. They turn away from their evil lives. They turn back to God. And and verse 10 of chapter 3, God relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. I guess there was probably a bank holiday in Nineveh. Street parties bunting all over the place. But Jonah didn't want to put on his party hat. He was livid. He thought, verse 1, it was very wrong. Literally very wicked that God didn't punish those evil Ninevites. You see, Jonah had a what's good and what's evil scale. That was his scale. Kids, if you're following on your sheet, you can see that scale on your sheet. According to Jonah, the Ninevites were 10 out of 10 wicked. Evil Ninevites. But God forgiving them was even worse. It was off the scale, and he decides to take out his anger on God. Verse 2, he prayed to the Lord. Now this is obviously the second time in the book that Jonah has prayed. Do you remember his first prayer in chapter 2, from inside the belly of the fish? It was a prayer full of right-sounding things about God. But under the surface, do you remember, we saw that it was fake. It maybe tricked us into thinking that Jonah's heart had changed, but it hadn't really. This time, Jonah doesn't even try to make his prayer sound acceptable or holy or pious. In fact, the first line of his prayer is actually like a spoiler in a TV show, but a spoiler that works backwards. Look at verse 2. He prayed, Isn't this what I said, Lord, while I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. You see, remember how God said to Jonah, go to Nineveh, and Jonah ran in the opposite direction. Now, if we were reading the story for the first time, we might think, he doesn't go to Nineveh because he's scared. Just like no one in their right mind would catch a plane to go to Kabul to spend the weekend with the Taliban, no one in their right mind thought it was a good idea to go to Nineveh especially not to tell the Ninevites that they were in big trouble with God. After all, we think Jonah didn't have a death wish. But remember, Jonah's prayer is like a spoiler that works backwards. He's saying, I didn't run because I was scared. I ran to stop God from being God. Because Jonah knew what God is like. Look at the end of the verse. Gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. Now, if those words are familiar to you, that's because they're taken uh, from here. Exodus chapter 34, 6 to 7, when God speaks to Moses on Mount Sinai. Do you remember the story? God has saved his people from Egypt. He's gone up, Moses has gone up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. But whilst he's up there, what do the people do? They build a golden calf. And God says, I'm going to wipe them out. They deserve to be punished. And Moses prays for them and God says, I'll stick with them. Because this is what I'm like gracious, compassionate, slow to anger. He's a God who loves to forgive people, not punish them for their sin. But here's the shocking thing Jonah knows that that is true. But he only wants it to be true for his own people, the people of Israel. He doesn't want it to be true for anybody else, especially not the wicked Ninevites. And that is why he says to God, That is why I went to Tarshish, to stop you from being God, to stop you from forgiving the Ninevites. Earlier this summer, I had a plan to do something that I was really looking forward to. And then something happened that was out of my control that made me think I can't do it anymore. And I felt pretty cross. Jonah must have felt a bit like that. Because he had his plan, didn't he? To make sure that he could get what he wanted to happen to happen. But God got what he wanted to happen to happen instead. And Jonah could do nothing about it apart from throw a great big tantrum. Verse 3. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. At the beginning of his prayer, he actually uses the same word that the sailors used in chapter 1. If you remember that prayer, they said, please, Lord, don't hold us accountable for taking the life of an innocent man when they throw him off the ship. Jonah says, please, Lord, oh, Lord, take away my life. You see, what, an, uh, what a crazy thing. They pr- the sailors prayed for forgiveness. Jonah prays that God would let him die. See, at this point, Jonah does have a death wish. He can't stand the thought of living in a world where God forgives people as evil as the Ninevites. If he can't decide what is right or wrong, if he can't decide who deserves to be forgiven, then what is the point in living? That is what Jonah thinks. If even the enemies of God's people are forgiven, what is the the point of being God's people? God has already spoiled Jonah's plan to die once. Do you remember? That blasted fish. Can't he just put him out of his misery? Verse 4. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Now, kids, I wonder if you can imagine what sort of emoji would Jonah have used in a WhatsApp message to God any ideas maybe one like this that is how Jonah is feeling okay very very cross but do you notice in verse 4 God is not cross God is cool calm and collected and he answers he answers Jonah one simple question and what does Jonah have to say Nothing. Absolutely nothing but silence. And in that silence, I think you and I are meant to ask ourselves the same question or a similar question. Are we ever angry at God's amazing grace? Does the idea that God really does forgive everyone who trusts in him sometimes make us angry? cross maybe not ballistic like jonah but just quietly resentful instead think about it like this isn't our track record much better than theirs weren't we brought up in a christian home ever since we became a christian haven't we always tried to do the right thing we've never gone off the rails Surely we deserve God's grace, compassion, and love. Just a little bit more than that person over there with their messy backstory of sin. Seems wrong sometimes, doesn't it? That they get forgiven just like that. Isn't it okay to be just a little bit angry for God, but for being God? And if we've ever felt like that, well, God asks us the same question that he once asked this angry prophet is it right for you to be angry well that is the first half of the chapter Jonah's anger at God's amazing grace and it finishes with Jonah sitting in a sulk refusing to answer God's question but amazingly God hasn't forgiven hasn't given up on Jonah yet Jonah thinks he knows God that God knows that Jonah has so much more to learn. And we're going to discover that in the second half of the chapter. So second, God's determination to give Jonah a gospel heart. God's determination to give Jonah a gospel heart. Verse 5. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made a, himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Jonah is like that die-hard football fan who is sitting in the stands and refuses to leave at 85 minutes, even though his team is losing 5-0. He's sitting there thinking, maybe someone will score a hat-trick, and then someone else will score another hat-trick. He's thinking, maybe, just maybe, Nineveh will run out of time, in extra time. Maybe, just maybe, God will wipe them out. Now, I don't know if you know where Nineveh is. It's where the modern city of Mosul in Iraq is. And I looked up the weather forecast for Mosul this week. It was like this. 43, 43, 45, 46. Oh my goodness me. Can you imagine Jonah sitting in a little shelter, probably made of clay bricks, sitting outside on a hill overlooking Nineveh? He must have been absolutely roasting. No wonder he was happy when God gave him his own air conditioning unit. Verse 6. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. You see, God had provided a miracle fish to swallow Jonah. And now God provides a miracle plant to shade Jonah from the blazing sun. But he doesn't just want to cool Jonah down, he wants to teach him a lesson. Because let's look back at that verse. The word discomfort is the same word as the word evil. It's the same word as the word calamity in verse 2. You see what's going on. Jonah is very happy that God has taken his evil away. But he hates the fact that God has taken evil away from Nineveh. Things are totally wrong, aren't they, in Jonah's heart. And he's going to need to learn his lesson the hard way. Verse 7. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. There's a miracle fish, a miracle plant, and now a miracle worm and a miracle wind. That worm and that wind bring Jonah back to where he was before. The sun is blazing down on his head and anger is blazing out of his heart. And this time Jonah does answer God's question. God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. Now the first time Jonah was angry, it just about made sense. After all, let's think about it, the Ninevites were wicked. They were the enemies of God's people. They could have wiped God's people off the map. We can just about understand why Jonah is angry that God would forgive the Ninevites. But this time, his anger is absolutely ridiculous and totally absurd. Verse 10. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about the plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? You see, God is saying to Jonah, you didn't make your air conditioning unit. You didn't even think about it. And you didn't look after it. But now that it's gone, take a look at yourself. Stamping your feet, clenching your fists, and having a hissy fit. Poor Jonah, what a victim. Isn't life so unfair to him? All he can think about is not catching sunstroke. But all God can think about is those 120,000 people who don't know what is right from what is wrong. A whole city full of men, women, boys and girls who are living as God's enemies. Countless human beings who deserve to face judgment from God. God is saying to Jonah, Jonah, you care about yourself, but I care about all those people, every single one of them, even the animals. I don't want them to die either, so think about it, Jonah, don't be a dumb ass. What are you going to do? Keep going in your tantrum or let God change your heart. That is the choice Jonah had to make, but what choice did he make? We'll have a look down at verse 12. There isn't one, is there? Made you look. There is no verse 12, because the story stops here. Jonah waited to see what would happen to the city. But at the end of the story, we are still waiting to see what will happen to Jonah. God is determined to give him a gospel heart. But will Jonah let God do what God wants to do? And in that silence, the silence that hangs in the air at the end of the book, we're meant to ask ourselves the same question. Will we let God give us a gospel heart? Or are we sometimes more bothered about our own comfort than about whether or not other people go to heaven or hell? Is it sometimes more important for us to have an easy, successful, prosperous, happy life than than that we see God save sinners? How do we feel about the thousands in our school or the hundreds in our office? What about the tens of thousands in our community or the millions in our city? Are we bothered about them? Are we eager for others to enjoy the greatness of God's grace? Or is a cozy, cushy life actually what we really want? Well, a week before he died, Jesus sat outside another city, a city that faced certain destruction. Jonah ranted and raged. But do you know what Jesus did? he wept. He wept because he knew that 30 years later the Roman, Emperor, Roman general Titus would besiege that city with a massive army and flatten that city and annihilate its people. Jesus knew that that was going to happen because that city of Jerusalem had rejected God and had ignored the saviour Jesus Christ. It was a judgement that the people of God deserved but the thought of it didn't make Jesus very happy. He cried his heart out. Luke 1931, he saw the city and wept. Well perhaps when we look at Jonah, we see a bit too much of ourselves and we think, "Is there any hope for me? I am often more bothered for myself than for others. The idea of others grasping the greatness of God's grace just doesn't make me as excited as I know it should do. Sometimes, like Jonah, I know that I'd like to decide who I think deserves to be saved rather than leaving it up to God. But God is determined to change Jonah's heart and he's passionate to give us a heart like Jesus too, a heart that weeps over our schools and workplaces, communities and city and even over our world. Let's ask God to give us a heart like that. And if this morning you know that in your heart you haven't yet grasped the greatness, the amazing goodness of God's grace, then why not do so today? Because just as God said to Jonah, should I not be concerned for that great city? So God is concerned for you. In fact, he sent Jesus, the one who wept over the city of Jerusalem, to die and rise again, to give you a home in heaven. So would you get hold of God's grace?